0: So it's uh, nice to be back after a week away, mm. <clears throat> teaching at IMS. Believe me, you would prefer this weather to that weather. <laughs> <laughs> so we are um, continuing the exploration of the third foundation of the Patana Sutta. And what we have been doing so far is looking at states of mind that have the compelling uh the compelling conditioning to divide us out to separate us to create a division a schism between between ourselves and it's important for us to uh, understand that at the basis of what we're speaking about the mind is a single thing it's a it's a whole it's only when one image is pitted against an idea or, a, or an experience that uh, there's the, a sense that two things are arising, myself and the experience I'm having. And so we're looking at ways that uh, very difficult and compelling states of mind create a sense of that division, that divisiveness. And so tonight I want to talk about division through doubt, through doubt. And we've looked at several states of mind. We've looked at uh, desire and we've looked at aversion. We've looked at fear. We will look at doubt tonight and we'll look at a few other states of mind as the third foundation is explored. Uh, One is that you're not going to feel completely satisfied after a couple of weeks on a subject And what I would suggest is to go to either our website or another website if you need more information on a particular state of mind and stay with it uh, until it feels like you've reached the satiation point and understand basically what the message is and how to work with that state. So we're just touching in on different states now and perhaps, well, at another time, we will explore each of these states but not in this series. So tonight we're going to just touch about around doubt, and a doubt uh, just to get a sense of our cultural, the persuasion it has within this culture, because it feeds on our, a kind of collective unworthiness that this culture is very uh, induced with very strongly, uh, both because of the economics, of how this culture is driven economically, and within that, there's a kind of tension of comparison and, and evaluation that we give one another through the competitive nature of trying to acquire more and more when there's a limited amount of resources. And that sense of uh, individuation of the wanting that is being induced within us through advertisement, et cetera, uh, you can't help, you can't possibly obtain everything you want can't possibly obtain what your neighbor has even. And so inevitably, within that fallout of that, there is a sense of you being a failure, us being a failure. And you don't realize how we've been inducted into that since we were born in this culture. So the culture is what it is. We have to work with it. But we have to know what the uh, conditioning aspects are within us, and doubt is certainly one of them. So I just want us to to get a sense of this thing called doubt. Self-doubt is really what I'm going to be addressing. And how, I mean, there may be someone out there that doesn't have it, but I haven't met them yet. It's almost universal. And so we don't want to pretend that we don't have it, and we want to look at it, shining the light of truth upon it. That is the way we can uh, uproot it. Uh, it doesn't uproot itself by reacting from it or trying to compensate for it. As any pattern, we know that that's just an unconscious reaction to the pain the pattern holds about us. And when we act from that pain, we will inevitably recondition furtherly further condition that pattern within us so it really requires a sobriety and a maturity from you first to acknowledge that you live with self-doubt and secondly to be willing uh, to face it so those are not too small provisions those are not too small uh, those are major uh, maturity uh, major thresholds that we reach upon maturity that we even want to acknowledge that we have it and secondly that we want to see it for what it is now as we go through this uh, you see the other other limitation of this culture and i'm not trashing this culture more all cultures have limitations but it's important for us to know what those limitations are not to pretend like we you know are the best culture and all this kind of patriotic fervor doesn't help us. Uh, what does help us is for us to see objectively and critically what are the values and limitations of what the influences upon our life. And another tremendous influence upon our life in this culture is that we are a knowledge-based culture, a thought culture. Our cathedrals are our universities, really. And so we place the highest uh, evaluation, the highest value on people who ha- are the most learned, the most book learned, and the most knowledgeable within subjects. And what that does is that it creates an enormous uh, influence of opinionation. Opinionation: we can, we think uh, somebody's very clear uh, when they have a lot of opinions because they have thought a lot and therefore and have a, a lot of of uh, knowledge based upon what they're actually saying so w- you can even as i say that hopefully you you can feel the limitation of that way of being uh, especially when you're interested in the truth of what's occurring you can see that opinionation opinions in fact any knowledge that we have obscures the learning that's necessary to see that truth in innocence anything we bring to something is too much because we can't see it freshly anew we see it for what we have known it to be or what someone has told us about it and so our opinions and our knowledge is in the is it's influenced in spirituality actually obstruct a clearer vision to see clearly is the object of meditation and we can't see clearly through our our past experiences and opinionation. so We have a lot of stuff coming at us from this culture and to just to get a sense. Okay, so uh, What do I really want from life and do I if I want to be thought of of, and uh, and evaluated in light of this culture, then having a lot of book knowledge is the way to do it. But if I want to be a spiritual, grow spiritually, I have to grow in counter-influence to some of the ways that this culture has inducted us. That's all I'm saying. So to know that and to get a sense of that. So uh, as we have gone through each of these uh, foundations of mindfulness, each of these foundations give you a different aspect of the self to understand so that we begin to explore and uh, and penetrate this seemingly uh, opaque thing called the self it seems very solid three-dimensional and uh, we carry it around all the time and each of these foundations are is a meant meant to give us a platform on which we can ask questions about the self, begin to flesh out the details of what the self really is, begin to take this ball of cotton that is very dense and uh, concentrated and begin to pull it out so that uh, light comes through it. And none of us, uh, I'm not expecting many of us, perhaps some, to have a full range of understanding of what the self is, but just getting a feeling of how it lands and what it does and how it compels and how it what its strategies are, et cetera, et cetera, you begin to, just getting a feeling for it is sufficient. And it will have its own influence upon how the self forms in, in the future. But if we're going to just be compelled by the influences of our culture, you're gonna find that the self doesn't flush itself out. You aren't gonna be wanting to see it. In fact, it's gonna be much more dense and condensed uh, through the influences of the culture, because the culture works towards individuation, not towards understanding that sense of separation. And so that's, uh, that's why it's so important to take these major conditioning patterns, like doubt, and begin to really explore them with a maturity and a willingness that requires a direct knowledge, not a learned knowledge. A direct knowledge is that knowledge that only comes when we are willing to see in light of our own truth what something is in this moment, not listen to someone else and apply their truth to our situation. That keeps us unconscious and within ignorance and does nothing for our ability to be free of this pattern. We have to see the pattern for ourselves directly and from a fresh and new perspective. Now, when we're looking at a sense of doubt, I would just like to spend a, a few minutes here speaking about how doubt creates a sense of division in the mind. I mean, what happens there when doubt arises that all of a sudden we're thrown back upon the stabbing pain of our inadequacy or unworthiness and very much lost in the suffering of our history uh, and what happens during that. And I, I think it's real important, especially in this series, is to really see how these things, it's not all of a sudden that I've just uh, hold the assumption that I'm, I am a failure or whatever expression or wording the doubt uses but that this had a sequence to it, a sequence, a conditioned influence. And the first is that at some point uh, when there's a moment of being challenged, uh, such as a moment in which you don't know something, there's a feeling associated with that. So we go back to the second foundation, and you begin to sense that the second foundation precedes the elaboration of the third foundation the elaboration of mind so that sense of feeling uh, of just being challenged of being uh, of all of a sudden almost immediately comes in a barrage of history about how we are within a challenged situation and often you will find that you will forget all of the successes you've had in the challenging situation. And remember the painful components. So mostly what we pull out from that historical file cabinet of all the challenges we faced. Remember, we have a billion neurons firing simultaneously here. This is a computer system that has the speed of of light, really. And so it's coming in terms of images, carrying images and flashes very, very quickly, bringing forth a, in each of those flashes, having a feeling tone associated with them, all being composed into a central feeling tone that weighs in with uh, a What happens? What happens? How's it weigh in? An energetic pullback, a fear of being oneself. Suddenly, it crystallizes all out all of these flashes of images from f- neurons firing and the sense of challenge before us, which is the experience at hand, there is a fear of being oneself within this situation. And that fear of being oneself is it, you, you feel an energetic pullback uh, of, of a just, it's just like, Oh God, I can't do this and then uh we will have often have a defense against that assumption we have that assumption but then we will try to defend that assumption that assumption being so painful that i can't do this i will explore what those next strategies are a little later but there often is a defense to that pain and then an acting out in one way or another in regards to that pain and uh, so we get stuck between the sense of oneself as I can't, I can't, and the continuation of the desire to do. Because if you take like spiritual work, you, I mean, if you want to take, take the most difficult thing you ever have to do in your life, that's spiritual work. There's no, nothing you could ever do that would be more uh, difficult than this because you're t- turning your life completely 180 degrees around. All the things you've learned, you, re- you unlearn. So it's completely walking backward in, in our terms of influence. And therefore, even being able to condition attention to our breath, you know, the, you take the hardest things that we face, what do you think is going to arise there? Oh, I can do this. No, no not likely, not if you've been conditioned to think that you can't, you're going, what's going to rise is, I can't do this. And so within that moment of being stuck between I can't, and yet there's a continuation, probably, of, of an urge or, an, or a, just the urge or compelling uh, sense that I, I want to do it, but I can't do it. So w- when we're locked in between those two, we, we become half-hearted. Now, spontaneity requires full-heartedness that's the definition of spontaneity is that there's no abbreviation there's no there's there's no fraction of you that's separated from the energy of spontaneity energy of spontaneity by definition requires a hundred percent energy so this half-heartedness is already a division within ourselves spiritually and we think we kind of We we work it kind of strangely. We say, well, maybe I'll try, I'll give it a noble effort. But in our minds, we don't really believe we can do it. So we're held within a kind of sense that we can't do it, but we also want to try, so we try half-heartedly. We sit and kind of let our mind just kind of... We don't really bring the focused energy we need to break through the trance of our thinking. We just sit, I mean, we may sit very, very well so that somebody who's sitting behind us says, oh, that's a Buddha. (laughs) Inside we're a schmuck. (laughs) And we just feel that way. We just, we don't know what to do about it, you know? And we don't know, we're afraid to try harder because what if we tried and then did fail? It would just convince us once more that we were what we thought we were which was a failure so it's better not to try and then we can always say well I didn't give it my full effort that's why I failed you see instead of the fact I this is the this is the greatest trap I wish I could (laughs) (laughs) it is by far and this tradition compromises us in terms of how it brings how it talks about this tradition in t- terms of lifetimes and all of that because we say well i I'm, no i'm not you, I'm, i can't do it now but if i have lifetimes maybe some lifetime i will so i'll just keep kind of adapting to the foreverness of my lifetimes and maybe along something will come along and convince me or somehow i will fall down into freedom <laughs> that's our logic and it's we don't first we have to see the immediacy of freedom and secondly and equally as important we have to be convinced that each of us have the ability to enter that to abide there and it's my job to set it up so that you hear those words, and then you have to deal with what you, how you obscured what you placed between yourself and those words. You have to deal with that. I can't deal with that. You have to. But doubt will surely be one of them if you have lived for any length of time within this culture. And so, okay, so. What happens then is that the only thing we have that can keep us going, moving forward, is our intention, is the consolidation of that energy. And all of a sudden our energy is being fractioned. And so we don't have the intention which drives the whole of the practice. It falters. With faltered intention comes faltered view. You hold two different intentions now one is to save yourself from the pain of the assumptions of your inadequacy and secondly your second intention half-hearted is to do the meditation and provide some relief to the yearning of your heart now you have two pictures in front of you saving yourself and ending yourself and believe me ending yourself can't be compromised you can't have a multi-screened approach to this this is not multitasking. This takes, this takes everything from you. Okay, so fair enough. Now, there, are, when we feel doubt, one of two strategies uh, often arise uh, with a strong sense of insufficiency. Let me just I want to just talk about those strategies and you see if you can get a sense of which one of those strategies compels you uh, one of them is self insulation and that's where we try to overcompensate for the pain of the belief that we are inadequate or that we are doubting and that creates uh, anger and sort of a thrashing out and a sense that uh, it's all about you and a, and your where there's a desperate fear of the doubt itself and the cause of the inadequacy is is that person that place that thing that event external blame anything but having to settle with uh the fact that the suffering is coming from your own assumption about yourself so there's just what i call a self insulation where the self is insulating itself from feeling the pain by projecting the pain out and thrashing around and pointing fingers that sound should sound familiar to many of us the other uh, equally as destructive uh, strategy is self recrimination In self-recrimination it's all about me in the self insulation it was all about you but now this is all about me and it um, in it, it feels like a crushing sense of self-failure and many of us have that many of us have that and you can l- live your whole life with that a very egoically you will be very your separation will be maintained and you'll just be miserable in maintaining it and you will uh, hurt most of the time quite likely with accompanying emotions that correspond to that hurt like depression and despair and so this sense of doubt we can see it, it may well have been driving us attitudinally for our entire life we don't really know how to get, get in there on it. We go to therapists, but oftentimes our relationship with a therapist is that, my God, there's somebody that's just willing to look at me. That's good enough. I'll pay my money just to have somebody sit there for an hour paid who will accept me and pay attention to me for an hour. Right? Not really do the difficult work necessary under that intention attention. But just to be, have someone accompany oneself uh, a little bit in terms of uh, paying attention. So it takes more than that. I just want to encourage us. I, I, what I'm, I know it's very delicate. This is a very delicate subject. I know that almost everyone in the room has some of that. And I know that we've spent our lifetime trying to avoid it and get out of it. And the question I would ask is, has that avoidance or have those strategies worked for you? And if they haven't, then let's see if we can't find something that does work because there is something that works. I wouldn't stand here and be saying this if I was just going to lead you like the Pied Piper into some kind of further difficulty and onslaught and further conditioning. I have no interest in creating more pain for you but there is a way out. There is a way through this. And sometimes you have to go through the fire in order for it to ha- like the logs, you know, for the space to be seen between the logs in the poem I read. And uh, so, most famous case of of doubt was the buddha okay so what did he do when he was doubting he didn't try self insulation which was blame it on mara (laughs) or whoever or he didn't try self recrimination like oh i'm a terrible person for having this he just simply touched the ground and i wish i could convey the strength of that moment of contact. Because what he does is aligns his body with the earth in the moment of that touching. Very much like the Sistine Chapel, although the skies, some godhead is touch. it's, it's the same thing. There's a moment in which the energy is absolutely in and there is no, there's a, a, the certainty comes from knowing that one cannot be anywhere else. This is wisdom, that the sense of of individual control has always been uh, faulty at best, and that this is where I am, period. There isn't any other possible place I could be in this moment. And therefore your doubt which says just the opposite you should be anywhere but here <laughs> this moment of touching the earth con- concludes without apology no apology no excuses here just the link up between the alignment of energy earth and body like tree and body Do you, you think that tree should be somewhere else because we have legs we think well i could be somewhere else if i just did move somewhere no that's that's a complete misunderstanding of this moment you could not be anywhere else now if you really knew that and you ha- didn't have a faltering perspective of yourself as you touched the earth that is you weren't looking around furtively at from paranoia that somebody would be finding out and incriminating you about all the things you've done or all the lack of forgiveness you've had which keeps us wobbling if we didn't if all of a sudden we just opened up to the clarity of that moment of contact suddenly doubt would be gone immediately now most of us don't have we don't have access to that single moment of touching so we're going to bring some other things here that can be helpful in getting to that certainty. But one of the, I don't know how many of you read The Life of Pi by uh, Jan Martel. Anyway, one, one in there, he a quote, he says, to choose doubt as a philosophy of life is akin to choosing immobility as a means of transportation. <laughs> and I sort of, like that because it's very much when you begin to sense that, you know, this isn't going to move. We have to, we have to take this thing on. And what happens when we falter within our doubt is that we then move, uh, with a sense of belief. We move in with the assumptions that we have believed about ourselves. And, uh, because doubt, With our doubting, uh, it doesn't provide any kind of certainty because we haven't learned at this point to have a direct experience, a direct knowledge through our experience. We're just basing who we are on the beliefs we hold of ourselves or of Buddhism or whatever. And so when we touch something like a religion, we grasp it our doubt wants some assurance of something and so it grasps at like buddhism or christianity and depending upon the level of severity of your doubt will be the strength of the grasping and if it's if your doubt is very strong you're going to be fundamental in your grasping and you're going to uh, start proselytizing because the more people that you can convince that you're right and have them on your side the less you have to listen to your own doubt and your own discouragement and, but if there's one person maybe uh, 200 people here if there's one person that doubts that person becomes your enemy oh maybe 199 people but that one person accesses the sense in ourselves that we're wrong accesses the doubt part of our yeah. So it has to be 100%, you see. That's why proselytizing cannot stand an alternative position. You, you know, it's, they have found that somebody who has a strong belief in religion, if you put them in an MRI machine, what lights up is the same area of the brain as somebody who is addicted. An addiction. Because both of those are really attempts to satisfy a kind of craving in ourselves to get out of the misery we feel. So Buddhism isn't about that. I hope people really understand this it's really not about that if we're coming to buddhism because we think it can somehow provide us uh, some sort of of, of of belief system that will allow us to be safe from the pain we feel well it's not that at all we come here to see whether the buddha's words are true i don't know until i go in there and look for from, from my own experience to see whether they are true we're not forming a new belief system so that we can go out and proselytize buddhism that's why buddhism when it's really understood is not even a religion at all it's not a belief system so what probably brings most of you here is the possibility of having the true light of your own understanding provide the guidance for the next step you need to take. In fact, when I'm in interviews, almost the, the only thing I really do in interviews is to steer the people back to what they already know, to, to steer them in their own intuitive direction. but the questions i get are often from a sense of self inadequacy should i do this or should i do that as if how would i know whether you should do this or no teacher no one knows that but inside oneself one can begin to feel a sense of a direction as you explore the different motivating and inhibitors to the direction you would like to take the fears that are back there that inhibit that energy from coming forward as you begin to explore that it becomes obvious what the next step needs to be but whether we take it or not will be dependent upon how thoroughly we bring the light of our attention to bear upon the fear that we have in that instant and doubting the sense of self-doubt masks masks that knowing that intuitive knowing we get thrown off away from the intuitive knowing into the pain of really not being sufficient that trumps the knowing the knowing is a quieter it's quieter it doesn't have the reactivity pattern that the inadequacy does but if you just quiet that down if you're willing to go through the inadequacy you can get a sense a sense of what step needs to be taken now let's just look at these two forms, this sense of self-insulation and self-recrimination for a moment. In self-insulation, the anger and the the thrashing out, this thing, I can't do this, which is an unacceptable thought to have because it incriminates me. So instead of doing that, I insulate myself from that, and then I say, oh, this isn't worth doing. So, instead of it turning in about me, I can just say that the method doesn't work. This is all trash or... And you can feel that uh, the task fail, having a task fail, saves you. And it also leaves, of course, to a lot of judgment and uh, of other traditions, and just a a very... um, Angry and bitter state in which it's not working for you because to for it to work, it's so to for it to work, it has to show you what's driving your meditation, and what's driving your meditation is the doubt that you don't want to see, so it doesn't work. So then, since it's we stop it, we create. It's failure by our resistance to seeing what is true. As medita- you going to do meditation. I try that? It doesn't, doesn't do a thing. And because the other people in the group quite likely have the same level of maturity and oftentimes depending upon how the meditation is taught, there's a non-escape clause within it. And there's a a non-escape clause in this one. You should be aware of that. The non-escape clause is that when you have a doubt, see it as doubt. It's a doubt. It's one of the hindrances. Oh, this is a doubt. The point is that sometimes there's an intuitive sense that you shouldn't meditate or that you you should be doing a different practice or you should be doing a different strategy. That's an intuitive knowing that we have. But in order to keep you... Front and center on within this method, will say, "Well, that's just a doubt. See it as a doubt and stay in this method." And well, that may not be. See, it's, a, it's you don't you can't get out of it. I've been in. I've been a, when I was a monk. You know, I I knew I was going to be a monk for only a limited amount of time. And so when it came time for me to leave, being a monk, all the other monks who wanted also to leave but felt you know were too rigid in their psyche to allow that possibility they said oh you're just giving into doubt how can you do that how can you just live go into doubt you stay for a while and that doubt will disappear disappear and in myself they could say that for as long as they wanted to but in myself i knew that it was the next step i had satisfied that particular form of practice and that the next step laid outside of that and so i just took it but 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 it was, a, I had to pass through the non-escape clause to get out of it. See, So be aware of non-escape clauses. They try to hold the population at bay. And of course, there's a positive, there's a value to that, and that it does temper the random thoughts we have about leaving. Right on retreat, those of you who've done retreat, I'm sure in the first couple of days, no matter how many retreats you've done, you think I should leave. Some of you have the maturity to know that that's just a a blip on the screen, that that too will pass. And so we say, see that as doubt. And then the blip will pass, and then you can go on. But then there are some people who should leave. And hopefully the teacher knows, has a way of being able to bring that out of the student. But to be aware of that, because I think it's it's really important um, that we don't give away our ability to make decisions for ourselves. In fact, that's a a Krishna quote that saved me one time when I was getting involved in a in a in a in a very uh, shadowy scene, and I thought, you know what? I don't have this scene asked me to give away my ability to decide, make decisions for myself. I'm out of here. So if you, if you, you, can, you see, it's a very funny thing, very funny thing. Are you leaving because of your ignorance, or are you leaving because you intuitively sense that that's the right thing for you to do? That's a very subtle question, and one that can be manipulated, especially when you're being screened at by everyone who's, ac- you're accessing their doubt for them. So we have come here to see if the Buddhist truths are relevant to us, not to be saved by Buddhism. And the way is discovered by each of us over time. We each have to rediscover our way. Now, in self-recrimination, because we're so, we implode with, with our doubt, we just feel awful, Uh, We think, you know, awakening becomes an ideal. We think, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. It's an ideal. And I have this huge distance to cross between this lowly person called me and the ideal of what I have to be in order to be awakened. And you know what we just created? We just created God. Where do you think he, he or she comes from? God couldn't be in this. And we can see that uh, the love of God in that sense is really the absence of self-love, isn't it? This is sobering. You can see much of the culture laid out in front of you here. And we have to be strong enough to pick up the pieces not to go by just what people say we should do. And so this sense of almost doing penance for the miserable person I am. I have to work hard. I have to, This is, you know, it's got to be almost, um, it's got to be so difficult that I can overcome the sense of myself loathing, that I can counterweight the loathing I have by the hard work I do. So we make spirituality, not the simplest thing, not the simplest thing which it is, but we fill it with the the self-recrimination of our life. Instead of just looking at the pain, Instead of just saying, okay, I doubt. I, if I'm the only one in the room, so that's it. I'm, I have to, that's it. Let me look at this. Expose my doubt to the light of inward truth. And that's its secret. That's the way out because as soon as we see it directly, we see the doubt directly, not through the assumption of our history. The assumption of our history convinces us that rightly so we are miserable. A miserable person. Because you can prove it. My mother said this and this and this about me, and <laughs> I have the facts. It's all there. My teacher, I failed. This happened. You know, you got it all there. You got it listed. Through the, your history, each one of you are rightfully miserable. Okay? But that's not the way we look in awareness. That's not the way we look in true spiritual orientation. We look at it from now, from the self-talk of now. Now we've opened up the space between the logs. Now the fire is burning, but there's space around the logs, which allows us to know that the history is just a conditioned attitude and in the present because i can feel it in the present what's conditioning except an urge to go forward in the same way we've always been but all i have to do is hold that urge feel it within the space that i'm giving it and it's just an urge and i can act any way i want to because there's complete freedom within that space so here's the key point now i feel unworthy but i sit up straight i look somebody in the eye i square my shoulders i speak to them i let my actions from body be completely counter to the way my attitudinal basis seems to be indicating all my doubt i don't give it over to it i don't allow myself to hunch my shoulders bow my head in self-disgrace Cast my eyes downward. I take my seat on the earth. I touch the earth. And mind, do what you will. I don't care. Because I'm here. And if I'm here, you're going to just bring, you're just a dumping center of the past. You're just, okay, so dump. In presence, in awareness. I can feel this and I'm also in the right spot. And now what distance do I have to cross for this spiritual awakening? How far is it from me? How distant is that that ideal God of mine? How far away am I from the healing of this pain. And this can be done. This is not just spiritual convenience, New Age speak, but we get our fingernails dirty in this stuff we're like gardeners right you dig in the ground with your bare fingers and you're pulling the weeds through the actual experience of life enough of this fiction of self enough of this fiction of the of my assumptions about me this is reality or it doesn't have anything to say with me say to me at all Okay, I'll... Can we sit for a minute or two? So how do you sit? As an extension of the earth? or a fluttering leaf on the tree. Where should you be if, you're, if you weren't here? Where would you rather be? Where could you be? And where are you? No apologies here. We don't have time for the excuses of our life. Why I'm such a wretched person. I don't, don't do that to yourself. Look from now and see how wretched you really are. All you'll ever do is feel the feeling, the emotion of wretchedness. You'll hear the assumption of a long ago small child who assumed that posture to life. And it's over. Okay. So, if there's any questions or comments about anything, I'd be happy to. Yes. a combination of both. uh, say again. Say what you mean by a combination of both. Uh, a combination of both, both types of fear. A fear. Both types of both types of doubt. I guess. The self-recrimination and self—you have both uh, two types going on. One, I'm, I'm it usually no. If the defenses are set so that you do not want to feel the pain, if you want to insulate yourself from the pain, whenever the pain arises, you will find a reason to. Uh, to cast your blame externally right the other way if you're self recriminating and you feel pain you'll find a way to blame yourself it's poor me it's me oh i did it again it's the it's constant living in a constant state of shame a constant state of apology it's always thinking that you have been the fault. Even if you know, two, if somebody runs into you and you're dead stop. It's your fault that the traffic accident occurred. There's always a turning there. You know, no matter it, a neutral incident can never happen. It has to be your fault. And so, you'll find that one predominates as a theme in your life. And so you, it doesn't matter whether you go outward or inward. It's just as treacherous in either way. And it's just a way that the ego is satisfying itself by, through an image. The image of being you know, always the uh, victim, you know, so that you're always thrashing out at, at what life is doing to you. You get angry, you get cynical, despairing, all of that. That's an image. Or the sense of, I'm, I'm just, I just, you know, the shame of my life and how awful it's been. and uh, That's an image. Either way, the ego thrives. It doesn't care whether you feel good about yourself. It just wants you to feel yourself. So you're not going to satisfy this by changing your images. You're not going to satisfy this, although it can take off a lot of the boiling pot by just beginning to like yourself, liking yourself is another image. Liking yourself gets you to the place where you're even willing to look at yourself. That's the, that's... It gets you to the place where you're willing to look at yourself. Not liking yourself is so painful that you don't want any part of looking at yourself. That's why we encourage liking yourself. Not because it's spiritually better, but because you won't see anything when you don't like yourself. You don't want to look. It feels better, I want to say that. so if you'd like to feel better then like yourself and i don't mean that i mean it's better than not liking yourself in the sense that you'll you'll be a better partner and all of that but in terms of coming to the spiritual realization what i'm really talking about is at the heart of this thing one image another image it really it's all the same Hmm? yes Okay, so there is a, um, there is a way that, uh, that's called the great doubt, where, but that doesn't come from, it's not generated from self-pain. It comes when you're sufficiently mature that you can uh, ask questions about the conditioning you have and wonder whether it's true or not. Like uh, the question, who am I, comes from spiritual maturity of it's, it's not a painful question to at some point to ask who am i it's a doubting question that i've taken what i've been as a mistake it's not the full truth and so that kind of doubt at some point holds a clarity of focus and draws you in to the questioning of life and i think that's where you're pointing in your question right but that the the difference is that it's not being it's not the motivation from that isn't a is isn't a poor image. And that's that's key. Yes, sir. I was thinking in terms of the uh, the two, the one you're casting down inside, <coughs> the other yes. casting. It seems like in relationships sometimes that you're paired up opposites. Yes. Yes. And, Yes. That's really the doubt, right? It can be. Uh, uh, The question is that uh, this self-insulation and self-recrimination, oftentimes you find yourself coupled with the opposite for clear reasons that psychologically, you know, (laughs) if I can dump on you and you'll accept that dumping, (laughs) the relationship works really well. The problem is when you no longer accept it, then I have to deal with, you see, it's usually the person who's at the end of the dumping that sets the and says, you know, I've had enough of this. The dumper, well, as long as you're accepting it, there's why, why would I ever want to change? Because it, uh, it satisfies my need to get out of my own pain by you accepting the, being the cause of everything that's troubling to me. Isn't that interesting? and so i'm not saying that all relationships have that as their main fixture but we do find that uh you know that we often find a, a compatibility within the alternative frames of strategies that we use and just to look at that and that's why i think couples in general you know especially as they're growing go through enormous stretching themselves uh, because Whatever it is that you've agreed of on in your partnership uh, b- becomes exposed. Whatever those strategies, those imbalanced, unbalanced strategies are, they'll become exposed at some point, just in your desire to f- flush out all the painful areas. And that then challenges the uh, balance that the relationship has attained through uh, the um, difficult images that each person owns. Once those difficult images are perceived, then the relationship is no longer in balance. And uh, then you have to find a new balance as the strategies are exposed. Yes? um, Yes? When you say the ego fights for you, what do you mean by that? I do, and don't put yourself out, say I. Don't put, say the ego du-. say yeah. I. I fight for um, lack of awareness. You fight for lack of awareness? Mm-hmm. You fight for lack of awareness? And lack of presence and lack of... You lack fight for it? Yeah. Okay, so remember that the Buddha talked about this practice ending suffering. Okay, so anytime you're in a struggle, anytime you're framing what you're doing as being in a struggle, you really need to look at what you're really doing. Oftentimes we're making, uh, we're, we're at odds with the principle or direction that the practice is really meant to take And we think we're going in a wise direction, but actually what we're doing is fostering further suffering, further tension within us. And there's nothing that's more true than that than how we try to awaken ourselves. Because the tension of us trying to wake up is the attention of the unconscious, is the tension of the unconscious trying to be conscious. Now, how can the unconscious decide that it wants to be conscious until it makes itself conscious? You see, being mindful, when you are here, you are the embodiment of the unconscious, the sense of I, or you would know what you were. If you don't know what you are, then you can be assured that the sense of I is unconscious, Okay, That's the definition of what unconscious is. I don't know what it is. Or I'm I'm assuming it's one thing it's really another. So if you're assuming that you have an ego that's in place, then you're as yet unconscious to it. So how can the sense of unconsciousness effort its way towards conscious? It doesn't even know what it's doing. It doesn't know what direction it's taking. It doesn't even know what it means to be conscious because it's the embodiment of the unconscious. Okay, so then now I'm completely helpless. I don't know what to do. I just see that I've been spinning around, around and around in this thing. So I listen to the instructions all over again. And I hear, relax. Oh. I hear, <laughs> I hear, release the tension. I hear non judgment. Lo and behold, the fundamentals of the practice, which I think many of us try to move up, it's like I have the fundamentals down. What's the, what's the higher teaching? The higher teaching is to go back to the fundamentals. <laughs> <laughs> What's non-judgment look like? What does relaxation look like? What does release of tension what why do we encourage this? It's because when you're in that state of tensionless living there is awareness. When I'm in a state of tensionful uh, uh, living trying to make myself aware that's another tension on my tensions that I already have. And I, my awareness looks like, a, looks like a pinhole that I'm, you know, I'm like claw, uh, clawing at the pinhole to widen it. But it just, instead of, this is, okay, let me just see here. Let's just do this together. It's best in a group. We can use each other's energy to come to a, I mean, let's just see i'm not interested in fooling myself but i'm not interested in going the other way either so what's it look like when i just relax so let's just relax here together don't try to be aware try to be relaxed release the tension if there's no trying in relaxation really there's just a release of tension and you'll see that the more relaxed and tensionless you become the more present you are i don't understand why we don't get that you think that's some kind of magic trick it's just a simple equation relaxation and the release of resistance the more awareness the more effort the less awareness i'm beginning to get this thing so when you're like this then what you need to do is move in the correct orientation correct alignment and move and you'll move forward you'll see it right in front of you thereby it will be a direct experience of your own wakefulness you'll have that directly it won't be just you hear an instruction and then you try to convert that instruction into your efforts and into your striving and into your ambition. You you hear it and you really take it in and you begin to see from your own experience what these instructions have to do about your experience as you're experiencing it. Okay, all. Thank you for your attention this evening.